Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we continue our new study in the book of 2 Peter called Knowing and Growing. In verses 12 through 15 of chapter 1, Peter, knowing that false teachers would threaten the truth, identifies three key characteristics of sound teachers of God's Word in, would you repeat that please, from Pastor David Wilson. There's only one true God, and He is the God who loves you and me, and He has come seeking us and wants to know us and loves us and wants us in his family, we don't have to be afraid of him. Now, all should fear the judgment of God, and you don't have to worry about the judgment if you have come to know Christ as your Savior. Open your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to turn a page today. It's so, so to speak, not literally, but so to speak. Up until this point, the first 11 verses, Peter has told us who we are in Christ, what we have in salvation, what we need to grow spiritually, and the benefits of growing. And it's actually encapsulated in the first 11 verses to know Christ and what it really means and what a victory it is. Aren't you glad you know Jesus? Well, beginning in verse 12 through the end of the chapter is really what I'll call a bridge to chapter 2 because he's going to start talking about heresy and false teachers. And so this really, these next few verses over the next three weeks, including today, today and two more weeks, we're going to look at the reliability of our own Bible We're going to look at the reliability of the truth and what we stand upon and how you can stand upon it. I want to begin reading in verse 12. Would you mind standing while I read out of God's word? For this reason, or therefore, which refers back to the first 11 verses, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease or my departure or my exodus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. May we always, always live it and believe it and know it and stand on it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A lot of interesting comments today when you hear people telling you how they decide what church they're going to go to. Some people say, well, we go to this church or a church in particular because of its kids program. We go because of the youth program. We go because of the music. 
We like the fellowship. We like the friendliness. We like the programs. Sometimes you hear them even say we like it because it's just close to us. It's convenient. But you don't hear very often people say, I go to that church because they preach the word of God clearly and without compromise. That should be the primary factor in what you're looking for in a church. But because of the the postmodern thought today that there is no absolute truth, then that's sort of put back on the back burner. Real doctrines, sound doctrines taking a back seat to many other things. And also in this culture, now you listen carefully to me, don't go to sleep here. There's this culture of inclusiveness. I'm all for whosoever will may come to Christ. There's no doubt that God is inclusive. There's no doubt that God loves people. And and you know what? Anyone is welcome to come in here in any of our worship services and join with us in singing and studying the truth. So we're not exclusive. However, church membership is a different thing because church membership are, are people who've been born again. They've been saved and baptized. Now, when you meet Jesus, you don't stay the same. You don't stay in your sinful lifestyle, whatever that may be. But today, because we're, we're more worried about a crowd, we basically say everyone is welcome here to be members of our church. Everybody is welcome here. Now, the danger is when you start teaching true doctrine and sound doctrine, it will divide you. It will divide the sheep from the goats. It'll divide the lost from the saved, the born again from the non-born again. It'll talk about sin. And when you talk about sin, then you really get politically incorrect. And the problem is, it sounds like we're being exclusive and it sounds like we're better than anyone else. But no, the reason for a church is to encourage believers and to reach the lost and to teach and disciple people. And so we don't say anyone can be a member of our church. Listen, if you've been saved and born again and baptized, yeah. But if you're living in open sin, no. Who's the judge? Well, the scripture tells us what to do here. Not our opinions, but we've gotten this attitude and even you'll even hear people say, well, you're welcome here. They will know we are Christians by our love, not by our doctrine. Well, folks, I say it's both. Well, these verses form a bridge, as I've told you, because they're going to serve as an answer to the false teaching that he's going to mention in the upcoming chapter. And he wants, he wants you to be satisfied. He wants his readers to be satisfied with the gospel. In fact, the first 11 verses, it's encapsulated there. How to, who you are in Christ and what you have and the benefits of it, it's all there. He said, I want you to be satisfied with that. And don't be swayed by somebody who's going to come along and say, well, I've got something new. I want to tell you something. Listen carefully. There is no new truth when it comes to Scripture. None. None. 
zilch, zero, nada, whatever else you want to call it. There's no new truth. It's all been given to us. Now, there may be some things we haven't learned in that truth, but the truth is not going to change and you're not going to add to it. Well, no matter where you are in the Lord, you need to be reminded of the truth. Do you ever get tired of hearing it? Depends on who's telling you, right? We don't ever want to make it boring. I know a lot of you are teachers. I'm talking about teachers in Sunday school, teachers in the church, teaching Bible study, whatever. There's something for you to, to hear today. And for, especially for those of you who ever are preachers or you're going to be one day, if any of you younger folks are going to become uh, teachers and preachers, you need to remember this. I entitled it, Would You Repeat That, Please? Because you'll see in a moment why. And Peter models for us some characteristics of sound teaching and teachers and why it's so important leading up to the authenticity of the scripture and then talking about false teachers. So let's look at the characteristics. This is not an extensive, exclusive list, but here are the characteristics. First of all, sound teachers repeat the truth. Notice what he says three times in four verses. Verse 12, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them. And then in verse 13, yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. And then in verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after I'm gone. Reminding us, have you noticed how many times the Bible repeats itself? For example, Deuteronomy chapter 5 repeats the giving of the Ten Commandments found, the commandments found in Exodus 20. First and Second Chronicles go over much of the same history that's included in First Samuel, First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Several of the Psalms, or portions of the Psalms, are repeated over and over again, and many of the Psalms go over the same themes. The Old Testament prophets basically had the same message. The judgment of God is coming because of your sin. You'll be judged and carried away. And, then, and yet they would still have the promises of his people in spite of their sin. The New Testament begins with three gospels. There's four gospels, right? But the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, pretty much are the same. They're called the synoptic gospel because they're pretty much the same. Jesus, Jesus often repeated his message and his parables. He told them to partake of the Lord's Supper to what? Remember, as often as you eat this bread, you show the Lord's death. Jude and 2 Peter have overlapping messages. Romans and Galatians deal with similar themes. So do Ephesians and Colossians. 2 Peter and Jude have overlapping messages. Paul told the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. And then in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again... I say rejoice. If you're a parent, and most of you in here have been, are, you've done the very same thing. Have you ever used this phrase to your child? 
how many times do I need to tell you? And their answer, well, you know, why do we, the answer is at least one more time because you haven't gotten it yet. The sad thing is, as adults, we still need to be reminded. And then after we've been reminded, then we begin to forget. And so we have frequent reminders of these basic spiritual truths that we already know. And he's saying, I don't want you to drift off course. Now, Peter did this three ways, and I'm going to say these quickly, so write them down quickly. First of all, he did it conscientiously. You'll notice he said, I will not be negligent. What's he thinking of? Personally, I think he's going all the way back to Luke chapter, I think, 22, where Jesus told him there. He said, Peter, after you have returned to me. So Jesus is hinting that Peter's going to kind of drift away from him for a little bit, and he denied him. He said, after you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And then in John chapter 21, where, where Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times. And each time Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I think Peter's remembering. I have a responsibility. I'm not going to be negligent. So conscientiously, I am going, I'm remembering what Jesus told me. I will not be negligent to remind you of these things. The second is consciously. Now you think, well, that's the same word. No, conscientiously, he's remembering what Jesus told him to do. He's remembering the responsibility he has. And teachers and preachers, conscientiously, you have a responsibility to teach the word of God. Now, consciously, he said in verse 13, I think it is right and suitable. In other words, I'm doing this on purpose. I'm purposely going to remind you of the truth. I'm remembering what Jesus told me to do. I remember my responsibility. Now I'm on purpose going to consciously teach you the word of God. All of us have opinions, don't we? Some of you got more than one opinion on one subject. That's called being wishy-washy. You get two Baptists in the same room, you have three opinions, <laughs> at least three opinions. Consciously tell the truth, teach the truth, preach the truth. And then verse 15, I will be careful. He's going to con- consistently do this. It's the same word, I will be careful or diligent. It's the same word used back in verse 5. Uh, to give all diligence. It means to hasten, to do something, to be zealous in doing it. Peter knew that he was going to die soon, so he wanted to take care of his spiritual responsibility. He said, I don't have long. And you know what, folks? You and I do not know when we're going to die, do we? We don't know how long we have on this earth. We don't know how long before we go home or before Jesus returns. He said, I am going to be diligent. I'm going to hasten and be zealous to do this consistently. So be a consistent Bible teacher. Teach the word of God. Don't make it boring, but teach the word of God. So sound teachers 
repeat, 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 repeat the truth, don't they? The second trait is that Peter exemplifies is sound teachers reiterate the truth. Now you say, well, yeah, you're repeating yourself. Well, not really. Look at verse 12. For this reason, therefore, for this reason. Now that builds upon what he said in verses 1 through 11. What I just said to you, he's using the future tense here. It's interesting. He basically says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Whatever ministry I have with you or to you in the future will be a continuation of the ministry I had to you in the past. It will be a presentation of the same truths. I'm going to reiterate what the truth is. And then he puts the word always in there. And he said, I'm always going to remind you. And then I'm going to reiterate, this is the truth. Now, he put a couple of phrases in here and made it interesting. Because he says, even though it is recognized, though you know it, Most everyone in this room knows the gospel. Most everyone in here knows the gospel. Do you ever get tired of hearing it? Most all of you know a lot of the truth here in the scripture. Do you ever get tired of hearing it or being told, remember, this is the truth? We warn our children, don't get in a car with a stranger. If someone pulls over to the curb and wants to talk to you, run to somebody's house, which would be a stranger. (laughs) Now that I think about it, that's really not a very good idea, is it? (laughs) Well, at least get somebody else out there with you. And, And we accelerate those warnings when we get a note from the school or we get an email that said... Uh, some strange vehicle's been spotted at the school trying to get kids to ride with them. And, and then we really get on our soapbox and all of a sudden we have to tell them again, do not get in a car with the strangers. And what's the kid's response? Mom, dad, I know that. You've told me a hundred times. But this time you say, now listen to me. Now, why do we do that? Why? Do we think they don't know it? Do we think they haven't heard it? No, they know it, but we're afraid they're going to let their guard down and our warning is trying to make them keep their guard up. That's the way Peter is with these believers. He's saying, I know you know it. I know you know it, but I want it to be planted. I want you to never forget it. He's concerned that they won't keep it right in the front of their minds and that the false teachers will come. And you know how false teachers work. They come with a big smile. They come, they're handsome, they're beautiful. They've got some gimmick and they'll come. And and see, you wouldn't tell your children, now listen, if somebody stops and wants you to get in the car, You go ahead and listen to them. And if you feel like it's okay, then you go ahead and get in the car with them. And if they've got something offering to you that you really want and you feel like it's legitimate, well, you go ahead and get in the car with them. 
No, that's not what you're saying. You're saying by no means at any time, anyhow, do you ever get in the car with somebody you do not know. But you want them to keep it right here because before you know it, kids, you know, just be friendly with them. Well, before you know it, Christians can do the very same thing. Somebody comes up and says, you know, I've got something new. And I've got something. This is what you want. All of you want to be wealthy. All of you want to be free of sickness. All of you want to be whatever. You want your marriage to be perfect. Well, you've got to do this. But they've always got a gimmick. Oh, you know what? Oh, you know what? You, oh, you've got a Bible? Well, you know what? We have this other one now that goes with it. Or, or uh, you know how false teachers go. Peter wants them to have this truth. He said, even though you know it. Folks, when I, when I preach to you, you don't really hear something new every week. I don't ever want it to be boring, and it is tempting to try to make something new. But the fact is, you don't really care what I have to say. You want to know what the Word of God says. I've been here 27 years as your pastor. Do you know how many, preaching three sermons every December on Christmas, how many times that is? I've approached Christmas from everywhere but from the donkey standpoint. <laughs> And we don't even know if there was a donkey there. We assume that Mary rode one. We don't know. But there's something about it. You don't get tired of hearing it, do you? And sometimes I worry, well, I've said that before. Maybe I need to come up with something new. You can't come up with something new. You cannot come up with something new about the gospel. Jesus saves, period. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Jesus saves, period. Just Jesus. Jude, I told you, is similar. He says in, in Jude 5, now I desire to remind you, though you all know, though you know all things once for all. I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. So he's saying, even though you've heard it, got to keep it here before you. That's why we never stop preaching, teaching, reading, studying the Bible. It is the truth of God. Now, not only do they know it, but look here in verse 12. It says they're also rooted. Even though they're rooted in it, you're established in it. Interesting, strong word that denotes they have a firm stability in their faith. And he doesn't want them to be shaken from that. You are a strong believer. You've got it. But if you don't keep reminding yourself of it, you'll get rusty. You'll drift. We have a tendency to wander, W-A-N-D-R, drift. It's interesting that at the end of 2 Peter, in verse 16, Peter identifies false teachers as being untaught and unstable. He said, I want you to know the truth. They don't know the truth, or they're untaught. And he said, and even though you are established, verse 17 says, you therefore, this is chapter 3, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away with by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness or your own established state. 
There's something implied here you need to get. There's a body of definable, knowable truth, spiritual truth, that is foundational for your Christian life. And without knowing these things, your Christian life is going to be wavy, flaky, unstable. A lot of people claim to be Christians. So they'll argue with you about the Bible, but they don't know what the Bible contains. And they wave and they go around. You see, young people and old people alike, we're all the same. We're just different ages. You young folks don't know that yet. We're the same as you. We're just older. We got the same issues you're dealing with. But people who don't know the truth and are not established in it are going to waver. Even those who are established in it and know it need to be reminded of it and be, to be reiterated to ta- and taught it to, so that we keep it in the front of our mind. Well, so he repeats the truth. He continues to reiterate it and teach the truth, not just repeating it, but to teach it. And now sound teachers also redeem the time. Peter's like a parent who is who's dying while his children are still young. What do parents do when they've been given a terminal prognosis and their children are young? They call them and they exhort them, please remember to do this. Promise me you'll do this. It's important for you to do this. I'm not going to be here for you to fall back on. That's the attitude he has here He's saying, my life is near its end. I've got to keep reminding you. You ever wondered how you would have reacted if Jesus had told you you're going to die a martyr's death? Back in John chapter 21, Jesus told Peter, you're going to die a martyr. In so many words, that's what he said. Now, for most of us, John 21, that had been the, it had all been downhill after that. Well, Jesus tells me I'm going to die a horrible death and I don't have anything to look forward to. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That was 30 years ago before he wrote this. But when Peter comes to realizing that his end is near, you you realize he's not worried. He's not fretting. He's not sitting around feeling sorry for himself. All he can think about is, I've got to make sure this group has the truth and they keep it here and they don't waver because I know false teaching is here already. Let me read you what one commentator said. We have much to learn from Peter's attitude toward death. He had been for years living with death. He knew that his lot would be to die in a horrible and painful way, yet he can speak of it in this wonderful way, apparently without fear or regard. Several things here. To redeem the time, you've got to live with realization. Get real, people. He he uses the word tent two times. It's translated tabernacle, tent, earthly dwelling. It was a Greek word that was used for, it it described what nomads lived in or travelers. It points to the shortness of life. 
Your life is not very long. The problem is you don't know how long you have. So you don't know how old you are. You don't. You don't none of you live in a tent, do you? You ever stayed in a tent? Aren't you glad you don't live in a tent? It's a temporary, isn't it? It's not something you want to. And Peter even wrote about this in the first letter. He called them strangers and aliens and pilgrims coming through the earth. He said, you're not living here forever. I urge you to live as aliens and strangers and abstain from fleshly lusts. Peter knew that his time was short. Your time is short. Young people, young marriage, if you have children, your time is short to disciple them. Amen, old folks? Let me give you an example. If you got a nine-year-old, you got a nine-year-old at your house, your time's half over. It's already half gone. Because when they're 17 or 18, they're probably going to go to college. Well, at least that's what we hope will happen, that they will leave home later. <laughs> Just giving you an idea of how quickly they're growing up. See how fast it's happening? You don't know how long you've got on this earth. You don't know how long you have to instruct your children, to instruct your grandchildren and those people around you. And, and we need to look at life. We need to realize we're only here for a short time. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about your life being here and the line we drew all the way around the world. This is eternity, the line, and here's your little life. And even if God gives you 100 years compared to eternity, your life is short but we don't, not many of us get to live to be a hundred, do we? We all act like we're going to, but we don't get to live that long, most of us. You don't know how long you have. Have you ever stayed in a hotel room? Most of you have. Hotel, motel, whatever you want to call it. When you stayed in that hotel room, did you move your furniture in? Did you put your pictures on the wall? No. Why? because you're just traveling through. Now, folks, there's a difference between a permanent resident and a pilgrim. And for believers, our permanent home is not here. Let me put it this way. I hope you understand. You need to live like you're dying. Live like you're dying. Because you are dying. Some of you look like you've died already. But you live to live like you're dying. I'm teasing. Had to wake up a few folks. You know what? We just take life for granted. We take all of this for granted. If you're a sound teacher and you've got the truth to disciple your kids and, and teach your class and your church, you're not going to be here forever. So you live with the realization, I don't have long. The second thing is you look forward with anticipation. You'll notice a couple of things here about Peter talking about his death. You know, he'd been knowing for 30 years that he was going to die. He didn't know when, and yet you don't find him upset about it at all. 
He uses the word tent. Tent is temporary. Paul uses that terminology in 2 Corinthians 5. And actually beginning the end of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, he's talking about this outer man is perishing. And then he says this tent is going to be laid down. And then in 1 Corinthians, 11, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about how one day this tent will be revived and we'll be given a new one. Peter uses that word in verse 15, decease or departure or exodus. We're going to leave. Now listen carefully. Did you know you will never cease to exist? You won't. You've been given life. You will never cease to exist. You're not going to exist in this body. Praise God. <laughs> the older my tent gets, <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to believe what I almost said, but I'm not going to. <laughs> well, I'm going to say it. The older it gets, the more it leaks in more ways than one. There, I said it. <laughs> Nobody else will get that today. So, But the problem is the more it hurts and aches and we got issues. You know, the old tent I had camping, it, the older it gets, when it would rain, it would leak. But listen, we're going to lay it down one day and we're going to go home. But what I was going to tell you, you're, you're not going to cease to exist because you're going to live forever. You're either going to live in heaven or you're going to live in hell. You're not ever going to be annihilated. You're not ever going to cease to exist. The real you is in this earthly tent that you have. The spirit of God is connected with your soul your mind, emotions, and will, and that is going to heaven one day. And then later on, this tent will be resurrected. We'll be given a new one. But you're not ever going to cease to exist. And so we look forward one day. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, in this tent we groan, being burdened. And he said, but God's given us a guarantee, the Holy Spirit, and one day we're going to be absent from this body, be present with the Lord. And Peter is saying, it's not going to be long before my tent is going to be laid down. This old earthly body, you'll, you'll bury it, you'll cremate it. Whatever you're going to do with it, I told Laura, she, she, she's not here today, so I can tell you. I said, just cut me up, put me on a trot line, let me catch another fish. <laughs> and you can put on my headstone, here lies the shell of a man, the nut's gone to heaven. <laughs> because I'm not, this part's not going. We're going home. And we live with anticipation. Listen, when your tent can no longer be made well or medically comfortable, God is good to let you come home. And one day we'll get a new tent that's fit for glory. It'll be a glorified body. It'll be fit for heaven. He'll raise that tent. And the last thing Peter says or gives an example is to leave behind a continuation you see, he says, I'm, I'm going to be careful to ensure you always have a reminder of these things after my exodus. The, this verse conveys the urgency. He said in verse 12, I'll be always ready. 
I'll consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling. I will always be diligent. He's aware that he's not going to be around much longer. And he said, I'm, I'm writing this letter to you. I've written the first letter, and obviously it's made it into our scripture for us to be reminded of what he was saying. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest truths of the scripture is the transformation of people like Peter. The same guy that denied Jesus, the same guy that, that ran for his life now is as bold as a lion and he is in prison and he is, knows that his days are numbered His words remind me of the Puritan Richard Baxter who said, I preached as never sure to preach again and as a dying man to dying men. We just don't know how long we have, but what we want to leave behind is a legacy. And I want my legacy, I know you want your legacy to your children and your grandchildren and those behind. They were faithful to the Lord. And they believed in the word of God and they stood on the truth. Teachers, your life is an example. Preachers, your life is an example. But the fact is the reason we keep preaching the word of God is because there's nothing else that changes people's lives but the word of God. You need one of these here. You need a copy of it. Even if it's electronic copy, you need a copy of it. If you don't have a Bible, you see me after church, or I'll give you one. Because I want you to have, because the word of God never returns void. Never. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. God loves you. God wants you. He wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you will be saved. That's the truth. Here's the truth. Jesus gave his life for the church. He wants you to be part of a church. Here's the truth. The first act of obedience when you've been saved is to be baptized. It's not an option. It's the first act of, here, I'm following Jesus. Here's the truth. If you have sin in your life, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sin, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So now it's your time to respond to the truth. If you need Jesus, you need to come. If you want to join, you need to come. If you need to be baptized, you need to come. If you have sin in your life, you want somebody to pray with you, you come or you can pray right there and say, Lord, I've got things going on in my life. I need your forgiveness. Let's pray right now. Thank you, Pastor David. In 2 Peter 1, the apostle has outlined for us the characteristics of a sound teacher. Sound teacher's repeat the truth, doing it consciously, conscientiously, and consistently. They reiterate the truth, even though it's already recognized and rooted. And finally, sound teachers redeem the time, knowing that it's short, but anticipating the future that awaits all Christians. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. 
If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Southcrest Baptist Church. Services are 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're located at 3801 South Loop 289 in Lubbock, Texas. If you can't join us in person, be part of our online congregation at southcrestlive.tv to stream our Sunday services live at 9.30 or 11. For more information, visit our website at southcrest.org.